Hey, how about a hand for our band and these singers up there? Oh, yeah, I am like, I'm hyper, man. If you're not ready to preach after that, man, you have issues. And I've got issues, but that ain't one of them. Man, thank you so much. You really should invite your uh, friends to this church. It's a, it's a really great place. <laughs> hey, um, Jesus let his hair down too. I love it. That's probably my favorite ad in the whole campaign, although I, I love them all, but I especially like that one. Well, uh, today we are wrapping up the series, and um, we uh, have been looking at some of the Jesus commercials that have made their way popping up on TV and in other places. Uh, this campaign was designed to raise the respect and raise the relevancy of Jesus in our culture and hopefully just kind of get the conversation going. The hope was that people might discover or perhaps you know, rediscover who Jesus really is and who he is for. Well, we got the point. He is for everyone and he's relevant. He has the answers to life's most pressing problems. He understands us. He gets us. He gets our hopes. He gets our fears our sadness and our joy, and well, today it's going to be all about joy. Jesus let his hair down too, and that line, uh, oh man, that, that line reminds me of an old joke that my, my dad uh, had told me on more than one occasion, I'll give it to you. A teenage son asked his father to borrow the keys to the car, and dad says, sure, as soon as you get a haircut, and the kid says something like, well, dad, you know, Jesus... <laughs> had really long hair. And the father replies, uh, yeah, that, that, that's true, son. And he also walked everywhere he went. <laughs> that's good stuff. <laughs> oh, I heard that one too many times. Uh, that's good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, I, I want to share uh, some, some really good stuff this morning. Last night, man, we had a blast. We uh, went to the, our school's auction party, and the theme was the Kentucky Derby. And uh, it was really a, just a, a great time uh, supporting our school. And, uh, and, and also, let me say this, uh, church, uh, you have to know this, that your pastors love you. We, we love uh, being pastors. We love being part of this church, and, and we just, just love you. And so I also want to take a little time this morning to celebrate Night to Shine with you. Uh, we put together a little video, and uh, we kind of tried to design it to make it look like the last video that we saw.
Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what a night to shine, and, uh, and shine we did. Uh, we know how to let our hair down, too. Um, over 140 guests and oh, 300 volunteers hosted a prom-style party that was fit for kings and queens. We partied and we cheered them on, the red carpet and the party bus and karaoke and shoe shines and the beauty parlor and the photo booth and hospitality room and airbrush tattoos, yes. The church floor right here. What a great use for a church floor. It's turned into a dance floor. And uh, we celebrated good times. It was just, just awesome. That is the way to be the church. And Jesus is all about it. Uh, thank you for those of you who gave financially. And uh, for those who gave from your service. It was a beautiful, beautiful way to love one another. Because... You made a lot of happiness happen. So thank you for letting your hair down too. I thank God for every one of you. This, uh, this kind of thing, this, this kind of church is exactly the kind of church that Jesus came to create. So well done. Well done, good and faithful servants of Jesus. There was so much laughter and excitement and just flat out joy. It was, it was just contagious, you know? I wish I could uh, retell you all the thank yous that we received, but I will share just a few lines from uh, just one in the stack. It says this, Messiah, you are a reflection of God's grace, peace, comfort, and joy in all that you do. And that was absolutely apparent at night to shine. Thank you for doing what you do for the community, and loving like Jesus loves. God bless you. All right, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, you, you are the life of the party, and uh, we just want to thank you for letting us be a part of something special, really cool. Thank you for Night to Shine, and what a, what a wonderful opportunity it is to be your church and to celebrate with those that you dearly love. We pray for your blessings to be upon each and every one of our guests and their families and their caregivers. We thank you for smiling upon us all. And now we ask that you open us up to your word uh, so that we can get it into our heads and uh, also get it into our hearts of who you really are and who you're really for and all that you've done for us. Amen. All right, well, this morning we are going to turn to the good news section uh, that the disciple John wrote down about uh, the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Excuse me. <coughs> Specifically, we're going to look at Jesus' first miracle. Uh, from the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Jesus went to weddings. Jesus went to parties. Jesus let his hair down too. That's good to know. Like when the bride and the groom were putting their guest list together, Jesus was included. Good move. Still is. Now, Jesus wasn't invited because he was a celebrity, because he wasn't one yet. And the invitation was not motivated by any of his miracles because he hadn't performed any yet wonder why they invited him. Well, my hunch is they liked him. 
a big deal? I think so. I think it's worth knowing that about Jesus. That common folk in a little town enjoyed having Jesus around. But very cool. As Max Lucado put it, Jesus was almighty, but he didn't act high and mighty. Jesus knew it all, but wasn't a know-it-all. Jesus was a guy that people liked, and he showed up to join in the celebration. He liked to have fun. That's probably important for his new disciples to know this about him and to see this about him. As they were getting to know Jesus, they quickly discovered that Jesus let his hair down too. Jesus went to parties, and contrary to the image and all too often the reality in which far too many joyless Christians portray, Jesus didn't come to turn wine into water, but water into wine. But always a word of caution here, Jesus didn't come to get wasted either. No, Jews uh, considered uh, getting drunk a big-time disgrace. In fact, they, they watered their wine down. They had to. You think about it. How many beverage choices did they have back then? Yeah, really, about three. You know, you had water, uh, you had milk, and you had wine. Mostly wine and water, though. And so as to not get drunk, they watered down their wine to a mixture of roughly one-third wine to two-thirds water. This would be the everyday kind of use of wine. But, but then they also had choice wine, uh, the wine you would supply at a wedding celebration, at least for the first round or two of toasts. And, and then later on, you would, you know, break out the watered-down stuff. But in this story... Disaster has struck because the wine ran out. So Mary springs into action. She knows what to do. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. This was a problem, a big problem. I mean, running out of the daily special at Hogg's house, uh, that's a bummer. Uh, running out of coffee in the break room, uh, that's annoying. Uh, but the issue in Cana is something much, much worse. It was a major problem. It's a public disgrace. The ancient rabbis had a saying, without wine, there is no joy. It would be imperative to have plenty of wine, plenty of joy on hand at a wedding party. Uh, but there's more than just social embarrassment at stake here, because hospitality was considered a sacred duty. So serious were these social customs, and in an honor and shame culture such as theirs, this situation would have haunted them and their parents just for the rest of their lives. I'm not sure if the host knew it at the time, but they are in a crisis. And isn't that the thing about miracles? We all love miracles, but we don't like being in situations where we actually need one. But that's a prerequisite. You need a big-time problem. And well, they had one. Undoubtedly, this couple from Cana were poor. Uh, not sure if they were more poor of money or poor of planning, but either way, no one was going to be making a wine run to schnooks anytime soon. So what to do? 
Uh, as mentioned, Mary brings the problem to Jesus. Good move. Still is. And in, he says something interesting. He says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And at first take, that response doesn't sound very Jesus-y, does it? Because what we hear him saying is, get off my back, mom. You know, I'm busy, you know. I roll mothers, you know, that kind of thing. But we would be wrong. We would be wrong there. A woman dear, actually, is a respectful term. He says, my time, which will be appointed by my Father in heaven, has not yet come. See, Jesus knows something. He knows that as soon as the Father tells him to jump in, that the clock starts. Philip Yancey notes that when Jesus' hour comes, from that moment, his life is going to change. A man reputed to have miraculous powers would draw crowds of injured and poor and sick. He would also draw the attention of the religious authorities. A clock would start ticking that would not stop until his death on Calvary, the cross. And then it came at a party in the middle of a celebration at a wedding in Cana, Galilee. The time had come. The clock started ticking. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's probably my most favorite line in the whole story. It's so simple, really. Do whatever he tells you. That's good advice, Mary. Still is. Oh, we would do so well if we just did what he tells us to do. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, do the math. That's 120 to 180 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. John specifically notes six stone jars, the kind used for ceremonial purification. The water in these jars was used to wash away defilement. This washing then was yet another religious law that needed to be kept. Uh, following the rules on the outside made one spiritually clean on the inside. This was their thinking. And so Jesus is up to something using those specific stone jars. And here it is. Jesus, the joy bringer, is working a new creation. He is ushering in a new way. It's the wine of the gospel. Jesus did not come to tidy up the old system. No, he came to fulfill it. He came to do its work perfectly for us. And what's more, he came to change people. 
to change them radically, to put a new power in them. This new creation is born in the hearts of people on the inside. He brings new power, transforming power, making old things new. Oh, yes, Jesus is up to something. Fill them all the way up. And Jesus never does anything halfway. There's going to be more wine at this party than they know what to do with. And I suppose that a dirt poor newly married young couple just might be able to sell that leftover wine and start off uh, pretty financially healthy. But, but can you imagine being one of the servants, though? They'll say, what? Let me get this straight. You want us to fill six stone jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons with water? Uh, that ain't going to be easy. That's hard work, toting all that water around. But they do what they're told, even though it's tough even though he doesn't tell them why, even though it doesn't make any sense, they do what they're told to do. And if you know the story, then you know that it worked out really well. Fellow servants, I wonder if it would work well for us if we did what he tells us to do. Oh, I know. Believe me, I know. His instructions are often illogical. Most of the time, God would have us do some pretty tough stuff. Money is tight. And he still tells us to give sacrificially. You've been hurt, you've been offended, but he tells you to forgive that person. And although you, you can't see him, he tells you to pray. Even though you're tired, you have a lot to do today, he says, come and worship. Although it doesn't make any rational sense, he says, believe. Trust, come and commune with me for the forgiveness of your sins. He is the bringer of a new creation. Oh, we saw it this morning at the baptism. His gospel, his granting forgiveness through faith in his work, not your doing, not your hand washing, but by his work on the cross. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Again, this is a crazy thing to do. It is illogical. It does not make any sense. Why would you bring water to the master of the banquet? It doesn't make any human sense. Why would we do this? But interestingly enough, they actually continue to do all the things that Jesus tells them to do. And the master of the banquet 
tasted the water that had now been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This stuff isn't watered down. It's good stuff. It's choice. It's choice. Very choice. It's the best, in fact. And this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. His first miraculous sign. What's a sign? A sign points to something. Jesus' miracles are signs, significant displays of power intended to point us to something beyond, something even bigger than the miracle itself. It's to reveal some deeper reality. Now, in this first sign, Jesus revealed his glory, and his glory would ultimately be revealed in his death and his resurrection. Uh, But we look at this account today, when Jesus let his hair down at a wedding party, and we look at this sign, and in it we find nothing but joy. Joy. The first miracle is about joy. For we see in this miracle that Jesus didn't come to tell us how to save ourselves. Not at all. The water has been turned into wine. His shed blood is that wine. He came to die, to shed his blood, and to drink down our cup of punishment so that we can raise the cup of blessing and love. It's a cup of joy for us. Now, typically, a Messiah, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every other Sunday. Um, It's too bad the calendar didn't line up for us today, but uh, no worries. I just want to talk just a little bit about communion today. Uh, because the text is pointing to it. And uh, it's something that we always just want to kind of keep in mind, that every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is a miracle that Jesus' body and his blood are physically present in, with, under the bread and the wine. And we might ask something very, a great logical question. How does he do that? with just a word. When Jesus says something, things happen. We take Jesus at his word. This is my body. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so we come. We come with our crisis, with our shame, with our sin, and Jesus gets us. 
He is someone you can take your problem to. No matter how big or how small. And he is someone you can take your sin to. No matter how small or how big. Every time we come to the Lord's Supper, it's joy. It's a celebration of his victory and all that he's accomplished. Every time we come to communion, we do so in remembrance. We remember. We receive his wine, his blood, and and. And do so, we, we remember, we, we make our way back to the cross. We remember that Jesus drank the cup of the world's sin and he drained every last drop. He drank down that poison and he hands us a cup of joy. Likewise, we should drink our cup down too. Meaning, delight in your forgiveness. Joy in the miracle that he brings. When we come to his table, we, we remember, we, we look at the past, and there's joy for us there. Knowing that his, his blood was shed for me. We could say, I'm clean. I'm good because of Christ. I'm good. I get Jesus, and Jesus gets me. I'm good. We have joy by looking at the past. And get this, we also have joy by looking to the future. Communion is also a foretaste. It's a little future taste of all the joy that is to come. It's heaven. It's the ultimate party where we will finally let our hair down for good in a celebration that will never end. You see, the real party hasn't started yet. As great as our parties can be, as, as great as night to shine can be, it's going to get even better. No more. No more. No more. Crying. Pain. No more sin, no more sadness, no more disabilities, no more disasters, no more problems, no more scarcity running out, no more running out of wine, no more wine in. Everything, everyone is going to be made brand new. Everything sad is going to be unsad. That's what Jesus came to do. And he did that for you. And he will do that for you. You'll see. It'll be miraculous. You'll see it with your own eyes, and you'll eat it and drink it too. And it will be so astonishing. Your joy will be so incredible. 
the fulfillment and the wonder of it all will be so amazing when you at last behold Jesus, the true master of the banquet, face to face and declare with the biggest grin that you've ever grinned in your life and you'll say, oh, Jesus, my Savior, you have saved the best for me till now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.